This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello everybody and welcome to the Liverpool Echo's Blood Red podcast. On today's episode, we'll talk about Liverpool's 3-0 win over Ajax and also have a look forward to the upcoming clash with Leeds United in the Premier League tomorrow. I'm subbing in for Matt Addison today as your host. My name is Tom Greaves and I'm joined by Paul Gorst, Theo Squires and Tom Kavir. Gorsty, how was Amsterdam, mate? I've just read your opinion piece on the Liverpool website. Um, I've been quite jealous seeing everyone over there (laughs) on all the socials all week. Yeah, do you know what? It it, it was really good, actually. Um, I think think Liverpool fans needed it, to be honest. I mean, you know, we obviously had the documentary that went out a couple of weeks back, wasn't it? The BBC Panorama thing kind of focusing on the the farce that was Saint Denis at the start of France, and um, speaking to a few people around that time, and and quite a few of them were adamant that that was then done with the European aways, and what were the, why were they bothering trying to support the team across the continents when they're being treated like essentially animals and being subjected to tear gas and whatever else, and and the general theme from from that weekend was, you know, it could have been fatal had Liverpool fans not been kind of aware of what was happening around them and, and kept calm and eventually managed to, to get it through and, and they're still kind of waiting for a decisive kind of outcome from that army essentially with you know the French minister trying to blame Liverpool fans and UEFA trying to say it was due to latecomers of fans and whatever else so um, then following on with that you know Napoli, which is um, not the safest place, shall we say, for for away supporters. Um, trying to say that diplomatically, you know, not even a particularly safe place for journalists. Um, myself and a couple of others got a little bit of a chasing from some Napoli ultras when we were out there in, in Italy in September. Um, so this one was completely different. You know, it was um, just a really good atmosphere around the ground and in the build-up to it, fans, you know, happily kind of mixing amongst each other, happily chatting. Um, and just everything about it was, was just kind of ideal. Um, pre-match, all the Ajax fans were kind of waving the white flags with Liverpool's badge on and Ajax's badge and a kind of bit of show respect, a little bit of friendship between the, the two sets of fans. They played you never walk alone before kick-off. Um, and there was a, a slightly surreal moment in the second half when... Ajax fans kind of saw the writing on the wall. I think Liverpool had just gone tuning it up and, and they were singing Three Little Birds in a kind of show of defiance. And then Liverpool fans joined in and you had the entire ground singing Bob Marley and that was a bit of a strange um, strange thing. But it was it was great to see, to be fair. And, and the people I've spoken to since have just spoken about how good it was just to be treated like normal human beings. Um, sadly, that... It, isn't always the case, is it? Particularly in English football, when a lot of fans are still treated with suspicion by so many of the authorities. Um, and just coming off the back of, we had all that nonsense from the Manchester City fans. They'd be singing about Hillsborough and Heisel, and then West Ham fans, you know, misguidedly trying to wind Liverpool up with pro-monarchy sentiments. And and then we had the Forest thing on Saturday, less than five minutes in there, singing about, you know, always the victims as well. So this was a Hugely refreshing and welcome change, and um, yeah, just a shame that Liverpool can't play Ajax more because it really was a, an enjoyable couple of days. Yeah, it seemed to be like a, the, the, the wider impression was from I, obviously I wasn't there, but from social media and everything, everyone seems to have had an absolute whale of the time um, in every aspect on, on off the pitch, and then 
obviously Liverpool doing business on the pitch. Um, Theo, do you think now, in terms of football, it's just all eyes on the Champions League for Liverpool? Do you think it's, we're going to have to put all our eggs in that basket now? I was going to say, Gorsi there showing his support for the European Super League, isn't he? Wants to play Ajax every week. <laughs> um, it's certainly been more enjoyable, hasn't it, following the Champions League this season? When they lost 4-1 at Napoli, I thought we thought it was going to be miserable in Europe as well and the full season was just going to fall apart. And There have been difficult moments in some of the games, but it's given us a big win in Ibrox. It's given us a last-minute win at Anfield against Ajax and then this one as well. It's like games you can enjoy more. Premier League is probably going to be a bit of a struggle, certainly in terms of getting to top four and title contention. But you'd like to think after the World Cup, when players are back from injury, they can sort of piece it together and make a decent top four charge, see how high they can end up. But might as well just enjoy the European days. These are the games where Liverpool have made their history for so long now, when you think right back to the 60s, 70s, 80s. And now it's, well, why not do it again? Like they've got so many finals under Jurgen Klopp. There's no team they will fear and knock out football. Away goals are gone, so they're not even going to have to worry about them. It's just getting the job done at Anfield. And then if you go and put a three-past Ajax in Amsterdam, if we ignore the first half hour of that game, then you can feel uh, confident in those games too. Um, Liverpool, the squad's going to be confident of doing well in Europe. Jurgen Klopp's going to be confident of doing it because he's been to, what, finals with Dortmund as well. There's no reason why they can't go all the way. But then this squad isn't going to be built up fine. We'll just sack off the uh, the league now, are they? That They'll still want to challenge as much as they can in everything possible. And it's just about building some rhythm, getting some consistency, and getting the results they come. Um, every time we seem to have turned a corner, then they have a Nottingham Forest game that rocks up in there to bring it all crashing back down. Hopefully, once and for all, this Ajax win was that final corner turned and the full season can start here until we have the World Cup break in a few weeks. But yeah, it has been the highlights of the season so far and I suppose that shows how miserable the season has been so far on the pitch. But more of that to come and it will turn around in the winter or I suppose after the the World Cup and we look into the new year. Yeah, it seems like however however we seem to be getting on in, in all competitions at any time, whenever we go into the European Cup, albeit we did get battered by Napoli, it, it just seems to just fall into place for Liverpool. Um, the three 0 win was a, a a big moment, really, because it, it could have really derailed Liverpool having that result against Nottingham Forest at the weekend. Uh, Tom, what were your initial thoughts on the back of that? On the back of the Forest game? No, well, on on the back of the Forest game and just going into such a good performance, especially in that second half, Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it you know the Forest game would probably could have had a big impacts like you said it could have you know going into the Ajax game it's not exactly an easy ground to play at they've got some good players Ajax um but yeah they, they handled the occasion really well um you know Ajax could have scored probably well, at least two goals in the first half and you know, Liverpool's defending hasn't been great at times this season we've seen that in quite a lot of games especially in the Champions League that Napoli game in particular so you know to get through that was you know really important and you see it a lot of games sort of conceding, you know, either side of half time just before or just after the break is always, you know, famously a bad time to concede. And, and, you know, obviously that was the case for Napoli. It just sort of looked like the confidence, you know, drained out of them as soon as that Salah goal went in. Um, and then obviously getting the goals straight after the second half starting as well was a massive blow for, um, for Ajax. So 
yeah, it's really professional performance from Liverpool. And yeah, I think you know, just going back to your other point about whether this should be like a priority, I think you know it probably has to be for Liverpool now. You know, they've got a good chance of you know going deep into the competition. Um, I think Liverpool always seems to sort of thrive off those you know one-off games or you know you know over two legs. They seem to just really um, perform in those circumstances. So. You know, I think Liverpool can really, you know, have confidence in going in a run in the Champions League again this year. And, you know, you back them to sort of get to, you know, at least quarterfinals, semifinals you'd be aiming for. And, uh, you know, let's see where it takes them. Yeah, it's, of course, the, I, I thought the first half was more of a contest and the Ajax fans certainly seemed up for it. But yeah. Liverpool then, as Tom says, just go and grab the second after the break. And it was plain sailing from there, really, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, we, I, I was about to write in our live blog on the day, you know, you feel that Liverpool can create something big if they just put a little bit of quality together because they hadn't at all until Jordan Henderson plays that pass, Mohamed Salah clips it in and then all of a sudden it was, well, you know, this is what Liverpool can do when they start to just kind of play anywhere near the, the capabilities. Um, I thought the he rode the storm for the first half hour or so, didn't he? Obviously, um, Steve Perkhouse should have scored very early on when he hit the post. And then Dusan Sadic had one that was, um, well, it was a great block by Trent looking back at it. But other than that, Liverpool were always fairly comfortable. And then once Salah hooks that one in, um, I never really felt that it was going to be anything other than a Liverpool win. Um, Darwin Nunes should have made it 2-0 before the, um, before the break. Um, but then he make, makes amends, doesn't he, with a kind of moment that sums him up, really. Um, it was meant to be a cross for Salah. He's over it, the keeper saved it, and then from the corner, he stuck it in with a great header. So um, another um, lively kind of um, energetic performance from him, and it's going to be great watching him play over the next few months because every time he plays, he's he's all action, isn't he? And he keeps you interested, and you never know, you never quite know what he's going to do. So uh, it's going to be... Certainly interesting watching him over the I'd say the next few months and then just generally developing into the player that Liverpool think that he can become. Um and Harvey Elliott as well getting you know back to back goals now in the Champions League. I thought he took that really well on his right foot into the roof of the net. Um so generally um a lot to be positive about on Wednesday night to kind of shake off the incredible disappointment that was Forest on Saturday because that was a massive chance to Get right back into the mix of things when you think of you know Newcastle beating Spurs and um, Chelsea and United drawing. So that was a massive opportunity missed. But through to the last sixteen of the Champions League, and uh, we're looking ahead to Leeds now. We are indeed. Uh, Theo, Gorsley mentions Harvey Elliott there, and the, the youth is increasingly playing a bigger role for Liverpool with Fabio Carvalho and Curtis Jones still racking up the minutes, and even uh, Bajsetic is getting on as well. Um, but a player who the manager was asked about in his press conference press conference today was Elliot. He referenced the consistency that he's been showing. Um, did you expect Elliot to have this big of a role within the side at the beginning of this campaign? Um, yeah, I think I did, to be fair, just because of how well he started last year. It was only, what, six, seven games, something minuscule like that, before he had the horrible ankle injury against Leeds. But... He was one of the first names on the team sheet. He started so well after such a good pre-season. And then he had the little spell when he came back where he was still in form. He like, played at the San Siro. He scored in the FA Cup. That's obviously just going to be adrenaline. You're going to have a little drop-off there, pick up a knock or something. And it was just a case of getting through that season. And then Elliot can have another pre-season to go again. 
like for someone so young, he's got so much experience already. Like the Liverpool competing in domestic competition or European competition, he's had a season in the Championship where he's scoring goals for fun for Blackburn. You forget he's still watched a teenager. Um, it's one where he's probably sought to find his set role in this Liverpool team, but that's the same for all the younger players. And maybe he started more games than we would have expected at the start of the season because of injuries elsewhere. But he was always going to be that one you'd pick to say, well, you'll probably step in to this side. I think I've said it on podcasts before, that while you start the season focusing with your experienced players like Thiago, Henderson, if you're having as good a season as you can, from Jurgen Klopp's point of view, you want Harvey Elliott to be first choice come the end of the season so you can take those next steps long-term. Like You want these younger players to be first choice and to not have a drop-off in quality, to be able to rely on them, um, to not just be like impact subs or throwing them in because you've got no option, because they, you want them to be your go-to players. And he's fast established himself as one of these. Like his goal was so well taken. He links up well with his teammates. It's a really good run from Salah Pass. I, I like the fact that BT commentators just assumed it had gone wide until they see him wheeling off celebrating. It was like the, the Raheem Sterling World Cup goal from 2014 in reverse. Um, but you know how much it means to Harvey Elliott as well as a, a boyhood Liverpool fan. He's not scouser, but he's still one of us sort of thing. There is that vibe with him and you can see how much every single goal means to him. Um, even against Rangers, like when his fingers are crossed and he's got Salah jumping on his back, waiting to see if VAR gives him that goal. He's a player you want to see doing well. You want to see him in this Liverpool team. He's getting the opportunities now and he's he's ahead of the other younger lads in the pecking order and it's just a case of piecing it all together. Jurgen Klopp is the right fit, isn't it? We've seen so many good things from him so far. Uh, 2023 could be a big year for him. World Cup's probably going to be beyond him, we'd imagine, unless there's a, a few injuries in England camp in the next uh, few weeks. But then he'll have, what, the under-21-0s potentially next summer, and then he's going to be a huge player for club and country long-term, as long as he can stay fit from injury from what we've seen so far. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Tom, how important is the role that you see him having going forward for Liverpool? I mean, he just looks so comfortable in possession. He, he always wants the ball. He's always willing to get himself on it and drive Liverpool forward. And he just provides the spark that we've really well needed this year just to start a lot of attacks. Yeah, I think they've probably seen, you know, a few times when Thiago's not been playing, for example, you know, you don't really have that player that's able to necessarily you know find those gaps in the defense or you know bring the ball forward if it's you know Henderson obviously has got a good passing range you know can pick out a player we saw that against Ajax but you know Elliot or Thiago they're more able to carry it forward and you know just have a little bit of quality on the ball to create an opportunity for a player um the thing I quite like about him he's you know he takes quite a lot of risks when he's playing Elliot you know he doesn't sort of play it safe every time he's got it not afraid to you know do something that other players wouldn't. So, you know, maybe that's why he's got to where he has because he's just got something about him that Klopp must like. Um, you know, he has played well for the most part whenever he's been picked for Liverpool. And, uh, you know, the big thing for him will just be, you know, like you said, having that consistency over uh, large periods in the season. So this year, I mean, he has played well. The games he has played for Liverpool, but I guess it would just be a case of, trying to get more goals and assists to his game. He, you know, he's, he's starting to add the goals now. Um, I was re- reading a stat the other day about assists from Liverpool players in midfield and, and there's been a lack of them sort of in the last year. I think it was only 
uh, you know, Henderson, Thiago, Fabinho, I think they'd only had like one one or two assists at most each from midfield. So, you know, maybe we, you, you do need to see a bit more action from the midfield players chipping in a little bit more, you know, because the last few years it, there's been such an emphasis on the front three sort of doing all of the, the work in that sense from attacking point of view. So, you know, if you can chip in with goals from midfield, that, that's going to be a really big help for Liverpool. You know, even if it was just five or six goals a season, that could make a big difference. There has been a big emphasis on the midfield, hasn't there, Ghosty? And I think there's been a lot of talk recently about Fabina, um, in that he hasn't been hitting his usual heights, which admittedly he hasn't. But I just want to know what you make of that criticism. I mean, my view on it is that he's clearly not being his usual standard, but it doesn't help when he's not always got the support around him that he would want. Yeah, I mean, he's like he's like so many others, I guess, this season where they haven't hit their, their best level. And um, it's difficult to explain why with Fabinho. You know, you look at people can kind of suggest that Trent hasn't been anywhere near his best and you say, OK, well, he hasn't quite had the protection from the midfield and, you know, he's, he's in the team to create. And when he doesn't get that and, and he's, you know, he's told to go forward, that can leave gaps at the back, or you can possibly argue that Van Dijk hasn't been at his best. And again, a, a criticism would be that he hasn't had the, or a kind of mitigating factor would be that he hasn't had the midfield's protection as much as he has done in previous seasons. But with Fabinho, the, there aren't too many kind of glaring defences for him, um, other than, you know, just saying that perhaps he hasn't been able to play <clears throat> with the the kind of regular midfield. Um, that he'd be used to. You know, there have been so many injuries in, in that particular area of the pitch that it seems to be one that chops and changes so much. And, and I actually asked Fabinho this question before the United game. We had a chance to, to sit down with him before that game. And I said, it was only early on at the, at the time. I think Liverpool had only played Fulham and Palace, so United was going to be their third game. But said, is it difficult kind of getting up to, to your, your top speed when... One week you might be playing with Harvey Elliott and, and Jordan Henderson, and the next week you might be playing with James Milner and Thiago, and or you know Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, Naby Keita. It seems to be quite tough at the moment to get a little bit of stability in the, in your area of the pitch. And he didn't he didn't use it as an excuse. He just said, you know, we're, we're all kind of quality players, so whoever plays, um, we expect to put in a performance, and we can't use that as an excuse. So I suppose that was. Um, fair of, of of him to say that because you know we could quite easily have said oh yeah well it is you know and you're not quite sure who's going to be fit week to week or whatever but um, he's certainly somebody who hasn't been anywhere near his, his, his best levels this season um, the reasons for why are not as obvious as perhaps other players um, so I guess it's just about just playing his way back into form slowly but surely because um, there's no question when, when he is at his you know, top of his game he's one of the one of the best defensive screens around, isn't he? So hopefully he can kind of just play himself back into that form. Yeah, and it's unfair to kind of put any kind of weight on one particular player. Um, I, I think, you know, the, the whole team hasn't really been performing this season and, and to, to individually point anyone else isn't really fair. But with a player that it, that has been getting a bit of credit is Darwin Nunes, finally, I think. Um, Klopp mentioned him in his press conference against today, Theo, and uh, he said that he's excited about the potential of the forward, who has received a lot of criticism this season, but he's just 
quietly going about his business, isn't he? I think I, I haven't I haven't exactly got the numbers to hand, but he's probably around a goal a game now, isn't he? And uh, with him being only twenty two, he's only got to get better. I think he's uh, averaging like a goal a star or something like that. I think mm-hmm. it's thirteen appearances, six goals, and an assist. So, like, when you think of he hasn't started every game, he, like, like Klopp's basically listed the reasons today, hasn't he? When you have the disruption from the suspension, uh, he doesn't speak English, it's a whole new set of training, conducting to the culture, not a very long summer break. Like, he's given all these reasons why he's not hit the ground running. But then you look at the numbers and actually he kind of has. <laughs> he's still returning the goals and he's making things happen. It, there are two issues, really, with Nunes. One is the misses. Like, He's got a really well-taken goal against Ajax. But let's be honest, we're all thinking about the open goal he missed. That is the main takeaway from Darwin Nunes from that game. And the second one is... He's no, almost... I think that's harsh. He's, you know, anyone can, can, can miss yeah, it. Yeah, anyone can miss he's it. He's responded well and, and scored very, a really good header. He responded well, but if you think, what is the main thing? That is the lasting image, isn't it? Like Firmino's reaction and everything, he should have scored more. But he's got the perfect mentality to it. The fact that he does respond well and he gets the goal. And we've seen that in so many games this season where he's missed a couple of chances and he still walks away with a goal. It's incredible how many he does miss, yet he still scored as many as he does. And it's a really respectable goal scoring return for a striker who is doing all this adapting to a new league, new team. And it's a team in transition with all these injuries. And he is only going to get better. And like the second thing that's the issue for him is he's doing it all in Erling Haaland's sh- shadow. Like Haaland is breaking these records that we've never seen before in England. Like we thought Salah's form last autumn was out of this world. We thought Salah's form in 17-18 when he got 44 goals was out of this world. It was like the closest English football or the Premier League era has seen to a Messi or a Ronaldo. And now Haaland's just taken that to a whole new level entirely. If Haaland wasn't doing that, Nunes wouldn't be getting as much criticism because you think, well, why isn't he doing that? There's so many reasons why he has taken this little bit more time to adapt, yet he's still delivering what you need him to do. He's still getting goals. He's still causing havoc. I'm sure he's one of these players that within a few months, defenders will be asked, who's the toughest player you've come up against? And they'll go Darwin Nunes. They'll say how much they hate playing against him because he's this mixture of pace and physicality. You just can't take your eyes off him. Yeah, his touch might be a bit wild at times or he might miss a chance you think he should score but then he'll go and score something out of nothing or he'll just whip bully you in like racing for a header or something. Like Klopp said, there is a reason to be excited about him because the potential is so clear. Like if we're picking flaws in him at the moment in terms of touches or misses and he's still scoring these goals, there's almost a similarity to when Luis Suarez first came through at Liverpool where he was a scorer of great goals, but he didn't score too many goals. And it's the same level he did two years down the line. Given that time to learn the language, settle with his teammates and everything clicks, he'd be, what, mid-20s? He'll be hitting his peak a couple of seasons down the line and there's no reason why he can't be returning 30, 40 goals a season if he can keep himself fit, if he can keep on improving. Klopp certainly thinks that's the sort of player he's got in his hands and that's what we've heard today with all the excitement he's come up out with. But it's just about turning that potential into this little bit more. But We've said it on podcasts before, despite what the uh, opposing fans and critics might say, Liverpool fans, there's a reason why they love him. You look at him and he makes stuff happen. That's why we're getting excited. That's why he's getting these goals despite everything. And that's why the potential is there for more to happen. I actually think, sorry, Tom, just before you come in on that, I actually think that the narrative needs to change a little bit now with Darwin Nunes because 
a lot of it is still kind of rooted in the those very very early days in, in July when uh, I can't even remember who they were playing. But was it United? And they come on and, and United, for whatever reason, he ended up becoming a, he ended up becoming a bit of a social media parody because he played fifteen minutes and it wasn't particularly great. And he's kind of that's kind of stuck with him for for some reason. Um, his return, as you mentioned, Ethio was a thirteen six goals in thirteen games across all yeah. competitions. I've just got the numbers up now. He's played 636 minutes and scored six goals, got one assist. Yeah, I I, I did the Blood Red column on him last week and, and that was obviously before the um, the Ajax game and his, his goals to minutes then was under 150 minutes and it was better than Harry Kane's and it was better than uh, Gabriel Jesus. Um, so, you know, all things considered, a guy, I think Klopp mentioned it today, he... Um, Nunes came in on, on the Friday. His, his first day at the club was on a Friday afternoon. He came into sources, kind of um, work visas out, all that kind of you know red tape, and then he flew to Thailand. Um, so he's adjusting to a new, a new club, um, new surroundings, new teammates. He's in Thailand. He's you know he's coming off a long call flight. He's having to adjust to training. Doesn't really speak the language, um, and then he comes back, um, scores against City, scores against Fulham. And then get sent off, and the, and the set the sending off has been crucial to it really because that's put him back three games. So that he was kicking his heels on the bench at a time when Liverpool are really struggling for form and momentum. Um, but generally, look looking at him taking his performances in a kind of can you know bit of a vacuum, he's doing really well. Um, he scored four in his last four starts. Um, it's just kind of circumstances around him. Um, that he's not in control of, i.e. Erling Haaland absolutely run away with things. And, and and we had a chance to speak to Robertson after the game and, and he said, someone asked him about ha- the Haaland comparisons and he said, look, you know, they're only compared to each other because they're both strikers and they both moved in the same window. You can't really compare Erling Haaland with anyone. He's, he's, he's going to be in the post-Messi-Ronaldo world of football. He's going to be the first kind of global superstar, isn't he? Probably him and, him and Mbappe are going to be the ones to kind of take that mantle. Um, Liverpool don't need Darwin Nunes to, to do that. They just need him to be a very good striker for them. And I think he's, given the circumstances surrounding it, I think he's made a very, very good start. Um, and as I said earlier on the pod, I think it's just going to be great watching him and just seeing what he does, you know, in a Liverpool shirt because um, there's never a dull moment with him. It's one way you look at the games being called off as well when the Queen passed away. Even yeah. that's against him because like, he's not played as much as you'd think, but it's not because he's been dropped or anything. He's missed what one game because of injury, and then he's um, missed the three games through suspension. But Liverpool went a month without playing in the Premier League, and he just hasn't been able to get that rhythm. And now we're seeing a little bit of rhythm, and it feels a bit late in the season already because we're at the end of October, and he's October, he's had a good month, and we know we're off breaking for the World Cup in a couple of weeks. But that's just unprecedented times in the Premier League. Like in a normal season, we wouldn't have had that gap without Premier League games. He'd have played a lot more football, even with the suspension. And then he'd have got the rhythm and he'd be scoring even more. And he'd be more second, third in the scoring charts. Because as Gorsty said, he's outscoring minutes-wise Kane. I think he's now got more goals overall than Jesus. And this is still coming to a Liverpool attack that for five, six years has been untouchable. And it's been so secure. And now all of a sudden it isn't because they had this certain way of playing with Mane, Firmino and Salah, and now you've taken Mane out of it. You've had Luis Diaz adapt into that role, and while that was pretty much an instant impact from him, it's still this changeover period of Firmino's not first choice for you anymore. 
it's a new striker in there. Like Diogo Jota, it was still easier for him to come into that front three because it was settled. Now it's like finding a new way to play. Are they going to have this big target man up front who can still run around, cover so much ground and be so quick and still hit him the right ways when maybe the wingers aren't going to be providing as much goals if you're going more central? Because Diaz certainly, while he's a good goal scorer, he's got a few goals this season, he's not seemingly going to return as many as Mane did because the focus is going central. And then you've still got, well, this top front three has been chopped and changed so many times this season already because of injuries and they've had all these formations. These are just more excuses we're coming up from, but then they don't feel like excuses. They're just valid reasons. And he's still got one of the most respectable goal-scoring returns in the Premier League. Imagine if he'd just had a proper summer, a proper summer break, a proper pre-season. Liverpool weren't coming back off um, being knackered from nearly winning a quadruple. They hadn't lost a star player. They didn't have players out of contract, ageing, didn't have all the injuries. If he'd just had everything going to plan and he could have the smoothest of starts, he'd have been one of these players we're seeing everything about, like City are with Haaland. And instead, he's had pretty much everything that could go wrong for Liverpool has, and he's still getting a goal every other game. And if you break it down to minutes, their average is so much better than that, as we've already discussed. Like we keep saying, watch this space, because it is only going to get better. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, and it, obviously there's been numerous things that have interrupted this rhythm. And if he starts putting together a good run now, the World Cup's in a couple of weeks. So there's like something else, another spanner in the works. Um, something else which could have provided a bit of a challenge for Liverpool in terms of rhythm, Tom, is Jürgen Klopp not being on the touchline. Um, I don't want to spend too much on this because it's not there's not really much to say really, but he, he's escaped the touchline ban. Um, he's been given a fine and he seems quite apologetic about what went on with the linesman a fortnight ago. Um, is that a fair outcome in the end for you? Um, I mean, to be honest, I was expecting, I would have been, wouldn't have been surprised if he got a ban um, just because, you know, I think this earlier this season, um, you had the Tuchel and Conte incident. I thought the Premier League would just try and make a bit of a statement, you know, to try and, you know, they obviously don't want that sort of thing that managers shouting at officials and linesmen. So I thought they, you know, I wouldn't have been surprised if they'd given him like a one match ban, for example. But obviously, it's good for Liverpool that he hasn't because, you know, it just, it's a positive having him there for the game, for games going forward. Um, but yeah, I am a bit surprised, to be honest, they didn't get one. But yeah, Liverpool will be glad that's the outcome of it, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to see him in his usual technical area. Um, so moving on to Leeds now then. Uh, Ghosty, do you think, where, where can you see the main threats coming from, from Leeds? I mean, last season was one of the easiest games of Liverpool's entire season, wasn't it? They played 63 games and that's 6 0 win in February really was one of the ones where they kind of were in first gear all, all throughout. Uh, but then the season before when Leeds had just been promoted to give Liverpool a, you know, a, a real close run thing and I think Liverpool won 4-3, neither the late penalty. So it'll be interesting to see kind of what end of the scale Leeds' performance is, is tomorrow. Um, <clears throat> not particularly flying high at the moment, are they under Jesse Marsh? Um, but I think they've got plenty plenty of pace with Alexis there and, and Jack Harrison on the flanks and I think if they could possibly exploit the space in behind Liverpool, but um, I imagine 
well, we know that loads of teams try that on Dean and it doesn't always work. And I think Liverpool's home form has, has become a little bit of a crutch for them this season because they've been really poor on, on the road. They've lost all three. Well, the three games they've lost have all been on the road, haven't they? Um, and just haven't really hit the stride there at all. But I think at Anfield, particularly with it being a, a night game, I think um, it'll be one that they will be confident of of getting uh, getting back to winning ways in, in the Premier League. Um, I think Liverpool have just got to target a really strong finish now and, until until the November break. Um, across all, you know, obviously the through to the last sixteen of the Champions League, so that game against Napoli will be a little bit of a strange one. I, I'd imagine. I don't think Liverpool are going to be going hell for leather to try and outdo the four-one defeat and finish top of that group. Um, but against Derby, if they, if they can get through to the next round of the, the Carabao Cup, you know they're obviously defending that one, aren't they? And then the Premier League games tomorrow against Leeds, Southampton, uh, and of course the, the difficult one, which is the trip to Tottenham. But um, I really do think they need to kind of target victories in all of these, and then see where the lay of the land is in in the middle of November, and see what could still be possible on the other side of it. Um, and they've got to start by taking care of business tomorrow at home to Leeds. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, Theo. Uh, Jesse Marsh was quite vocal about Leeds' performance recently and, and not picking up results when he feels that they performed quite well. And Jurgen Klopp reiterated it in his press conference today. He said that, that their performance hasn't been haven't been reflected in the results that they've been getting. Um, but Liverpool needs to bounce back from that disappointment last week. Is a 7.45 kickoff the time to do that against a Leeds side that aren't putting the points on the board? Um, you'd like to think that means we're going to get a better atmosphere at Anfield. Like it's almost going to feel like a European game, I suppose, having it under the lights. And it's one where playing Leeds, you'd be more concerned if it was Ellen Road because it would be a similar sort of formula to that Forest defeat, where you know the fans are going to be up for it. You know the team's going to be up for it in front of the fans. And it's one where Liverpool either turn up, get the first goal, and put four or five past them, or it's a real struggle. And they end up losing. These how Liverpool feel at the moment. They can go one of two ways. Um, we saw that against Ajax, where if they conceded that first goal when they hit the post or anything, that could have been a horrible show for them. Instead, they helped dug in deep and managed to get a what has been a rare away win this season. But as Gorsi said, Liverpool's home record's been decent enough this season. There's no reason why they can't be confident. Leeds struggling. Like when Liverpool played games with Leeds recently, there's always been goals. Even if you remember Jesse Marsh when he was at Salzburg, when he came to Anfield, there were goals. Uh, so maybe we should expect another six or seven shared between the two teams uh, tomorrow night. But we'll take that as long as it's not too uh, nervy, wouldn't we? Maybe not a, a 7-0. I'm not saying anything as mad as that. But a 4-2, something like that. Liverpool get a couple of goals early on and see it out. Um, yeah, the fans need to be up for it. There needs to be a response to that Nottingham Forest game. Like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, it can't be you think you've turned the corner only to trip up again. Liverpool have got to finish strongly before the World Cup break and it starts tomorrow. It is a, a weird kickoff time. It's not really one you want to play on a Saturday and Jurgen Klopp's uh, alluded to that in his press conference. But just be glad it's at home because then at least it's not too far to get back afterwards. Like You feel for the Leeds fans if it doesn't go their way at Anfield, they get a heavy beating and they've got to make that long journey home when I'm sure public transport's not going to be the kindest for them. But Liverpool just need to put uh, the Forest defeat behind them, build another run. Like, like we say ever, after every defeat, get a couple of wins in a row and then we start to feel that Liverpool season's really started now. We've had a few false dawns 
they need to be in the past now. This needs to be a proper start for the next month or so. Two, three weeks. Two World Cup breaks in like two weeks now, isn't it? It's ridiculous. This season, you lose track. But then, but in 2023, the sooner they get, that gets here, the better. Then the football season can really start. Yeah, Tom, the, the Nottingham Forest result was a particularly tough one to take just because of how we managed to string together a couple of wins. And we seemed to build ourselves a bit of a platform to, to go on. Um, but heading into this one now, how do you think the mentality will be amongst the squad? Um, I think they'll probably be quite confident getting a win, really. Um, as, as the guys have just said, it's it always feels a bit different when it's at Anfield. There's there's more of an expectation to win, really. Um, Leeds haven't been great, as we've said. Forest is always a bit of a tricky one as well because it's one of those grounds, you know, it's not the easiest place to play out there. They've got a good support there, um, like Leeds do as well at Ellen Road. So I think when those sort of teams come to Anfield, they're not, you know, they're not resigned to losing, but they, they, there's almost that fear factor. Liverpool still have a player at Anfield, and I think you see that with a lot of teams when they come to Anfield. Um, I do I do think Leeds, to be honest, are one of those teams that aren't like that. They do tend to play quite expansive football. They're quite brave in how they play, um, particularly when they had BL, so that was very much their, you know, their identity, I guess. Jesse Marsh is a bit like that as well in terms of the way he likes the team to play. But I think Liverpool... You know, on the back of the Ajax game, surely you've got to to go into this, you know, on the front foot expecting to get a result. Um, you know, anything other than a win really would be, you know, a big disappointment. So yeah, this is a good this is a, a real good opportunity, I think, for Liverpool to start, you know, getting a bit of consistency back again because, you know, that's been lacking really since August. Well, on that note then we will move into our teams. Um Alison Beckham is going to start. Gorsty, uh, what's your backline? Um, I mean, I think Ibrahim McCarthy has another couple of days training, so that could mean that he could come into the reckoning. But um, I don't know, really. I think Liverpool kept three clean sheets in, in the last four. Um, and the, I just think you need that kind of stability, that continuity and consistency um, to carry it on. You know, the, the timing of the games have been quite nice in terms of it being a, a Saturday night game. It's not a Saturday lunch, it's lunchtime game, which managers always hate um, after a Champions League week. So, yeah, I think um might just be unchanged. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think so. Like, the Napoli game... Uh, next midweek's a weird one where top spot's probably not realistic. So that's the one where you think Klopp can make a few changes and that seems a better one to put Canate uh, in for. Um, so yeah, Gomez and Van Dijk centre-back. Yeah, Trent Robertson at full-back. And then you make your changes against Napoli, you make your changes against Derby. There's enough in this fixture on to break it up a little bit between, between the rest of the guys and get a few more back from injury. So hopefully that's a strong enough one to get the job done. Keep another clean sheet. Yeah, I agree myself. Tom, four yeses. You just muted there, mate. Well, sorry. Um, as Theo was saying, I think um, Napoli's probably the right game for bringing Canate back in. You know, they're not really being too much riding on that one. So yeah, I think it probably makes sense to try and you know keep it as it has been. So I think I'll go with Paul and Theo. And you? Yeah. Uh, 
go with the lads that are still in some form. So onto the midfield then. Um, is Harvey Elliott keeping his place? I know Fabino went off, didn't he, against Ajax as well. So what do you, how do you think he'll change it around for Leeds United? It's a difficult one to guess now, isn't it? Because he, he went with the, went with the diamond um, to kind of keep Salah on Nunes in, in central areas and Firmino dropped into an, almost an upper 10 position. And don't think anyone's seen that coming, to be honest. Um, Thiago will will return. I think Klopp said that today in the press conference. Just a case of who he wanted to rest between Henderson and Fabinho. Um, I'd be minded to, to give Fabinho a breather. Um Keep Elliot, um, so that'd kind of be the, the the midfield three. If it is a midfield three, it's a, it's a bit of a strange one at the moment, isn't it? For years we backed on Liverpool being four three three, and at the moment there there could be anything really. Yeah, it's a tough. It's tough to put your finger on how exactly we're going to set up after that. And um, what, what do you think they have? What's your three? Yeah, no idea what the formation is. <laughs> it's going to be a tricky one. I think Klopp even hinted himself that he might change it again, didn't he? Uh, so it, it could be 4-3-3, it could be 4-4-2, it could be 4-2-3-1, it could be uh, Diamond again. Um, it, it's tricky. Right. Henderson took this knock to his knee and Klopp suggested that he thinks he'll be back. But at the same time, there's no real need to risk him or rush him back because it's a rare situation where Liverpool got so many injuries, but most of the midfielders still seem to be available to them. So I'd maybe have Fabinho keep his place. But maybe it's just going to be the same three. I, I don't have a clue how they're going to line up or what formation or anything, but Fabinho, Henderson, and not Henderson, sorry. It's not going to be the same three. I've completely forgot that. Thiago comes in for Henderson, and then Elliot on the other side. Uh, Curtis Jones is a contender. Oxide Chamberlain's not going to start, is he? Then I've got the curveball of do you put Milner in against his former club? It is very hard one to work out. And if we actually knew what formation on the ball playing, it'd be an easier one to pick. At least they've got plenty of midfielders to choose from. That's all I'm going to say now. <laughs> I'll sort of go for Thiago Elliott and Fabinho, but then you wouldn't have any issues with any of the others that are available at the moment. No. Tom, how's it going to look in the middle of the park, mate? Yeah, I think Thiago, Fabinho and Elliot as well. Henderson probably, you know, would have started had he not had that knock. So other than that, I don't think there's really many other options. I know Jones or Milner, I don't think either of them will start this one. So I think I'll go for those three as well. Yeah, what about the front line then? Ghostly, I thought seeing Nunes in the lineup the other day, I thought he was actually going to be on the left. Um, but he, he was quite central from, from the start of the game. So, but how do you think that that's going to be now with looking at your midfield and going forward? Yeah, well, well Klopp said that, didn't he? Um, when he went through the lineups at the start of the game, they had Nunes on the left, Firmino in the middle, and Salah on the right. But uh, Klopp said he, he wanted Nunes to be in more central areas, which I think is, is the right call because, I mean, he's quick, but I don't really see Nunes being a left winger. Um, he's very much in number nine for me. So, I think it might just be the same again. You know, I think um, yeah, he doesn't have too many options, to be fair, in terms of rotating his front line. You know, Diaz and Jostin are both out. Carvalho, you know, still will take time before we see the absolute best of him because he's a young lad moving to a completely new team with massive expectations. So um, I think we will just be um, as we were with, with Firmino in a little bit of a withdrawn role and Nunes and Sara down the middle. Yep. Um, I suppose the only alternatives to that would be 
if he had Jones on the left or if he had Carvalho on the left. And that's one where it depends on the formation entirely. Um, I think you've got to have your senior players who know the roles better and the formation you know better. So I keep it unchanged because while the Liverpool didn't start too well against Ajax, it did seem to click reasonably well as they grew into the game. And it had Salah and Nunes in the the dangerous positions, the ones where they're going to cause mischief, the ones where they're going to get goals. And when things are a bit up and down for Liverpool, you need to rely on your goal scorers to get you the goals to be in those positions. And Leeds haven't had the best of starts this season. Maybe that's where Liverpool can cause the most damage. So at least having the two goal scorers there in the middle of the park-ish, drifting out wide if they want to, with Firmino as the the number 10, that, that should work well again if everything clicks. But yeah, it's just... Oh, so hard to call at the moment because Liverpool are changing formation game on game. Never mind starting eleven. Tom, what about yourself? Yeah, I think the attack, you know, it kind of picks itself at the moment just because of the lack of options, really. So, I think it's just going to be the same same three again that we've seen um, against Ajax. Okay, then score predictions, Gosty. Shall I go first? Yeah, I mean, I've seen Leeds against Arsenal a couple of weeks ago and, and they would give it unlucky, really. Um, bit of VAR nonsense at the end, kind of denied them, didn't they? And they, they missed a penalty in that one. Um, but I think Adam Fields would probably be a lot lot stronger and I think it might just be... Um, I'll go with 2-0. 2-0, for you. 3-1. 3-1, leading by 2 again. Tom? Um, I have to take a leaf out of Theo's book here and, and go 4-1 to Leeds. Predict the uh, big away win. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's going to bring us luck, apparently. But uh, no, I think 3-0, I think I'll go for Liverpool. Yeah, I think I'll join you on 3-0. Uh, right, all, all wins for Liverpool then. Uh, we'll all have our fingers crossed over here and... We will see you next time on the Red Podcast. I want to thank all the lads for jumping on and everybody for listening. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.